Hello and welcome back to the Dropping In Surf Show. My name is Rob Case and today uh, I want to talk about nerdy wave stuff again, uh, specifically about what's called vortex ratio. Um, you know, I, I, I think I've covered it in other episodes. If you're new to the show, just know that we talk a lot about science and math and the world of surfing. And so I'm always pulling up these old research articles and trying to relate them to something that is applicable and something that's going to help us. Um, I'm specifically a paddling technique coach. Uh, and some of this information I use in my level one and level two courses, depending on what it is. What we're going to talk about today is really level two stuff, wave catching, as well as you know getting out strategy, uh, board selection based off of the waves, um, and skill assessment. So um, just to kind of introduce you to this topic today, you know, I've done I've done previous episodes on things called peel angle um, or orthogonal seabed gradient. I'm going to bring these things up, but I'm, in today's episode, I'll review them uh, so that you remember what those are. But in essence, scientists they've been studying you know waves for for decades, really, since uh, the earliest ones I've found are in the 60s and 70s. Um, some of the research that I'm going to quote today is actually from the 70s. Um, and, and more recently, they've been looking at it uh, in the in the late 90s, early 2000s. They were looking at uh, wave parameters and surfing waves and how do we predict them? How do we create them so we can create artificial waves in the ocean? Uh, and more recently, how do we create artificial waves in a pool? Um, so a lot of this information has actually been applied in the pools, I actually pulled up something from Kelly Slater Wave Company. It says right here, the company classifies its barreling waves based on the wave's vortex ratio, wave height, and peel angle. These are all things that we've talked about. Um, and we've talked about the, the wave gradient or, or the, the, the bathymetry and, and the uh, orthogonal gradient. Um, and these are the things that all these scientists use in order to... to recreate what we see in the ocean and really understand it better. And now how we can use it as a surfer is the more that we can understand waves, the more that we can possibly predict how the wave is going to break, or at least the higher likelihood we'll have uh, to predict how it's going to break. And therefore we can surf it better or more effectively. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give you a quick review of some of the things that we've talked about because I, I want to make sure that you have a baseline knowledge of some of these words that I'm going to be throwing out. And then I want to specifically talk about one of them, which is the uh, vortex ratio and, you know, really what is it uh, and, and more so how can we use that knowledge? Um, and, and there are really three areas. One is skill level assessment. Um, when you're looking at waves and you're trying to determine, you know, am I ready for a wave like that? Um, another one is wave catching, specifically positioning, or what I call the curvature of the wave or the development of the curv curvature. And I've talked about that in the past. Um, when we when we reviewed, I think Harry Knight and I reviewed one of the studies um, from Nick Pizzo on the, the development of the wave, which is the... Uh, the acceleration vectors and uh, velocity vectors of a wave's development. Um, this is specifically more about, it's a combination of the development of that, but also the curvature, being able to actually see and gauge and, and judge 
um, is that where I'm supposed to set up for this wave? Um, or should I be further in or further out on the shoulder? Um, and then another area that I, that I kind of summarized when specifically about vortex ratio, uh, it has to do with board design uh, decisions. You know, when you're looking at a wave and you're saying, you know what, what board should I take? It shouldn't ever be based off of paddling. Um, and that's something that I stress a lot in my level one course. You know, one of my goals is when I teach you good paddling technique, you shouldn't have to choose a board design because of the paddle out that you see in front of you, um, or even the paddle into waves necessarily. There's a little bit of that, but, but most people, they look at the conditions and they're like, oh man, it's a long paddle. I need a bigger board to paddle, or I need more volume under my chest to paddle. You don't need that. You just need better paddling technique uh, in the short term. That's that's the that's the foundation. That's the low hanging fruit. Then, when you're at that point, then making the decision, you can start making decisions based on the way the wave is breaking, and that's like vortex ratio, like how big or small is the vortex ratio, and therefore does my board fit in that curve and how do I want to surf it? Do I want to surf with aggressive um, in nature or do I want to be more cruisy and relaxed and or more conservative? And, and you know, where do you want to go on the wave? How do you want to recover after maneuver? Those are the things that, that I, want to, I want to touch on. But first, um, I, I want to quickly, let me make sure that I'm showing my full screen here. Yeah, I believe I am. Cool. So if you are listening to this, um, well, you're going to want to check out some of the visuals on YouTube. Um, but I will do my best to try to describe what I'm showing on screen. So let's do a quick review of some of the terminology that I'm going to be going through. Um, when scientists are, are really trying to understand surf breaks and the way that waves um, surfing waves are often, what are the parameters? They come down to, they've kind of summarized it into four main wave parameters. And there are things that affect these wave parameters. Um, but, you know, since 2001 and actually earlier in, in the 70s, they were talking about a few of these. And those four parameters are breaking wave height, which is, hey guys, we know what wave height is. We've, we've been dealing with wave height all the time, right? Um, this other thing called wave peel angle, this thing called wave breaking intensity, and a final parameter called wave section length, section length. So wave height, wave peel angle, wave breaking intensity, and wave section length. Those are the four parameters that they've they've kind of summarized and they said, you know, we can describe, um, suitable surfing waves based on these four parameters and, and the combination of these four parameters. So just to review, um, breaking wave height, we're really talking about kind of the scientific height. This isn't the cultural height differences. Uh, this is from the uh, trough of a wave to the crest. Um, and it's an ocean... Um, uh, ocean, ocean, oceanographic measurement from the crest to the trough. Say that 10 times fast. Um, so it's a, it's basically not, um, it's not like California or Hawaiian or East coast or West coast scale. Um, this is more a scientific scale, um, for, uh, from, from, uh, from trough to crest. Um, 
And so that's that's kind of how they they determine that. And they're they're basically have limited. There's been a range in 2003. They did a study that showed that there's kind of a surfable limit range of wave heights um, from one meter to 20 meters. Um, of course, they say that you know if you're highly skilled, you can surf something less than one meter. And we've seen it all the time. One meter is three feet. You can surf two foot wave. You can surf one foot wave with big enough board. Um, and, and even if you're super skilled uh, and light on your feet, uh, you can surf smaller waves. Uh, and then 20 meters, you know, we've seen surfers surf bigger than that. But this was back in 2003 when we haven't really seen that much. Um, other than that, then they talk, start talking about you know, toe-ins and uh, above 20 meters, they're talking about um, toe-in surfing and there's certain craft around that. Um, but that's their definition of wave height. Wave peel angle. Um, I went into a, a very long discussion on peel angle. Um, and and I there was a there's specific study that I covered on peel angle and in level two I talk a lot about peel angle what what it is let's maybe talk about what it is specifically uh, so peel peel angle is the it, it, if you're looking from top down from basically the clouds and you're looking down at a surf break. What peel angle is, is the angle between the white water line of the previous wave and the incoming line of the swell. And it's that angle between the two. Um, so I'll show you on screen kind of what that looks like here. So it's this angle here. Here's the white water line of the previous wave. You can see it here. There's the white water line of that previous wave. And then this is the oncoming swell that's coming up. And so the angle is the angle between there. And essentially what they're saying with peel angle, they're, they're saying here perhaps the most critical parameter to determine whether a wave can be surfed other than wave height is peel angle. Uh, that's a pretty like strong statement, but uh, that's one of the reasons why I cover peel angle in great detail uh, and how do you use peel angle to set up where you should be catching waves um, and also where you should be paddling out. Um, if a peel angle is not within a range that can be surfed, then the wave is said to be unsurfable, um, according to the, the studies. Um, so you can, you can actually have really, really high peel angles up to 90 degrees that that's always, uh, a possibility. A Waikiki wave is 90 degrees. It doesn't really peel one way or the other, it just kind of breaks straight, um, but you can't do as much on a wave uh, with a peel angle that's high. Um, a wave peel angle that is too low, though, a zero peel angle, which is basically a closeout, it's not really a surfable wave. You can't surf it. You you have the drop, and that's about it. So they they basically summarize it anywhere from about zero to twenty degree peel angle is is unsurfable for the most part, unless you're getting towed in. Um, you just don't have enough time to get down down the down the line to do anything. Um, it's uh, it's considered too fast to surf. So um, low peel angles break too fast to surf. Um, and they they summarize it actually quite well. The difference between a surfable beach and a non-surfable beach is often that peel angles are just too small, right? So you can have 
high peel angles and can be a surfable beach. I actually surfed. Um, it was a, a, a beach yesterday with my son and, and we were, it was like a 90 degree peel angle, a bear. It didn't peel at all. It didn't peel at all. We basically went straight, um, on these big longboards, but it was great for him when he's learning. Right. So, um, you can do it. It's just, you can't do as much. You're not really hanging 10. You're not, you know, ripping big turns on a peel angle. That's 80 to 90 degrees, but you can still surf it. Um, and there's kind of a sweet spot um, with that. And in that other podcast, I talk about what those sweet spots are for takeoff, for uh, a cutback, for uh, a vertical reentry, for a barrel ride. There are all these peel angles that they they covered in that study in, in, in 2003, which uh, I, I love using that as just an example because they really got into the weeds on that one. Um, so... Let me just make sure that I got everything for here. Um, peel angle. Let's let's chat a little bit about peel angle and some of these vectors that come out of it. So I have on the screen um, uh, the example of peel angle, um, where we have um, point A, which is um, the top. Uh, this is a left. I'm looking at a left right now. So point A is the um, top left point of the peel angle. It's basically the angle um, vertex. And point B is like the white water line. It's the end of the white water line. It's the space in between the previous swell line and the next swell line. Um, and then you have a couple different vectors. So that's vector V um, subscript S. You have uh, a straight line down from point A down to the next swell line, which is V subscript W vector. And then you have a, a vector that goes from A uh, across the top swell line, um, perpendicular, that's called VP. And let me explain what some of these are. like. VW is probably the, the easiest one to describe, and that is um, when you're in, uh, it's basically the direction that the swell energy is going. Um, it's, they, they call it the velocity of propagation, which is basically how fast this wave is going. And, and I, I've talked about it in level two, and I think I've talked about it on one of the very, very early podcasts, like one of the first four podcasts that we, we recorded, we talked about how fast waves are moving into beach, um, perpendicular, just kind of, if you were to say it's not even peeling or you're ignoring the peel angle. The, the velocity of propagation is basically just how fast that swell is moving into the shoreline. And that's that vector V sub uh, subscript W. Um, and that can be measured based off of wave height, um, generally speaking, that we found. So there's, there's one vector. Now, perpendicular to that, right, because that's, that's basically the same vector that a 90 degree PL angle would make. Right, but so so VW would equal um, VS if um, if it was a 90 degree peel angle, um, it'd just be going straight into the beach, right? And so that energy transferred to you is equal or similar or the same. Now VP, which is actually traveling parallel to the swell line, the outer swell line, um, <clears throat> that is perpendicular to VW. And now that, that vector is a really special vector. It's called peel rate. Now, peel rate and peel angle, I 
briefly touched on it on the previous uh, on a previous podcast, but peel rate is actually a slightly more accurate measurement of how a wave will peel down the line because you're going to have different peel rates or and and when you talk about rate, it's basically um, distance over time. It's it's velocity. It's a rate at which how in this wave in particular how fast it peels to the to the to as a left um, to our visual right, but to the surfer's left, right? So how fast is that peel rate uh, peeling? So the rate is a little bit different than the peel angle, um, but they are very closely related. Um, the reason why in history they've used peel angle is that it's easier to measure via photographs um, than peel rate. Peel rate is a little bit more tricky to actually measure. So the peel rate is the velocity the wave breaks or peels along the wave's crest to, in this case, to the left of the surfer's left, right? So you have wave propagation going straight in, you have peel rate going to the surfer's left, and it's going that way in a certain speed or direction. And so then the the, the angle in between that the white water takes, that the actual peel line, um, that is the resultant velocity vector, V subscript S. Uh, it, it approximately the surfer's speed if the surfer remained uh, remains close to the wave breakpoint. So, or in the pocket. So if technically the surfer just rides in the pocket as close as possible, they should be moving at a, a similar speed as, as this w uh, V subscript S vector um, from point A to point B. Um, of course, you know, that's if we're just trimming the whole time and just kind of moving along. We may go faster if we end up pumping or we, um, we hit a pocket and we come down. There's a lot of uh, changes in speed that a surfer actually has. But this is a little bit deeper of a conversation around peel angle. And this is why I think, you know, peel angle, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit uh, later, how it relates to braking intensity or, or wave vortex um, in terms of wave catching and positioning. Um, this, this plays a huge role in positioning. Where do you, where do you line up along this wave's crest? And, and, and it has a huge impact on, on, on uh, a timing, what I call timing, which is how far out from the beach you need to set up in order to catch the wave. Um, so that is peel angle. Um, uh, so let's move on to wave breaking intensity, which is that, that third parameter. Um, wave breaking intensity, it sounds deep and strong. And this is essentially what we're going to be discussing is the details of this. Um, they describe there are different types of waves. So the, the basic oceanography definitions of waves breaking are spilling, plunging, and collapsing, and surging. So those four. Um, surfers really only ride spilling and plunging waves. Plunging waves are like barreling waves. Um, spilling waves are kind of mushy kind of waves, right? Um, so back in 2001, these two scientists use this kind of general concept to investigate the relationship between the, the vortex shape or the barrel of the shape of the barrel um, 
and, and the various parameters and just to see, okay, can we use this kind of ratio of length to width of this, of this barrel or the, can we relate the roundness of the barrel to braking intensity? Um, and they found a lot of different correlations, um, which I will go to in a minute. Um, and they came up with actually a linear relationship between um, the vortex ratio, which is the length to the width of that barrel, to the orthogonal seabed gradient. So orthogonal seabed gradient is essentially relating to the seabed or the bottom bathymetry and orthogonal means 90 degrees so it's basically the as a swell comes in at a certain angle whatever it's orthogonal with in terms of the feature underwater that's this that's the seabed and the gradient is the change in depth of the seabed so as it's the change in depth of that line or that um, ver, um, uh, vector that that uh, swell is coming in on. So if it's coming from really, really deep to really, really shallow and that swell is coming right along that line um, of deep to shallow, then that is a very steep sea, uh, orthogonal seabed gradient. Um, that could be like pipeline, tiopu. Um, it could be um, really slabby kind of waves. Um, Black's Beach in San Diego comes up through the canyon. But Black's is actually a great example because you have a lot of refraction come out of the canyon. Um, Moss Landing's another one where you have this deep water canyon offshore. And if the angle is coming straight down that canyon and then all of a sudden hitting really, really shallow water, you have really, really... Uh, high seabed gradient and therefore higher breaker intensity. Um, there's this relationship between the seabed gradient and this vortex ratio, and it's a linear relationship, which means, uh, and this is what we're going to get into, you know, li linear relationship means that you can measure it. You can predict it. It's, 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 it's along a straight line. Um, of this of this uh, relationship between the two and so this 2001 study was fascinating because they measured um, the the angle they measured the height they measured the width and length and those ratios and they found that the most the the high most highly correlated parameter of all of them had to do with this orthogonal seabed gradient so there is a uh, a seabed gradient that is natural um, and, and that is, you know, that's not what we're talking about. Orthogonal seabed gradient specifically means the angle that the swell is coming in to the gradient of the bathymetry at that, uh, along that, um, vector that the, that the swell is moving across. So you could have at like Black's Beach or at Moss Landing where you have this deep water canyon or even Nazare, you have these deep water canyons. And if the water, if the swell is coming right up the canyon, 90 degrees, you're going to have the greatest breaking intensity, um, potentially. If the swell angle is coming more from a different angle, kind of sideways, it's going to be a different orthogonal seabed gradient that, that, that energy hits. And that gradient changes possibly from a little bit shallower, um, 
uh, it won't it won't be such a difference between deep water and shallow water and so the the breaking intensity isn't as strong and then you have like certain seabed uh, orthogonal seabed gradients like at like San Onofre or up here at Bolinas or in Santa Cruz at like Jacks or Privates uh, or Cowles where the seabed gradient is very, very slow and very, very low where, you know, it, when the swell is coming orthogonally to it. It, it progresses very, very slow. And so that intensity is very low. And so they, they found this great um, correlation. That's what I want to talk about today. Um, here's a picture of, of the vortex ratio. Um, so what I'm, what I'm showing here, it's a, it's a view of a barreling wave from kind of like a channel. It's a right and it's coming toward the camera. And it shows the height um, H, uh, the height of the breaker, which is uh, H sub uh, subscript B. It has a almondy shape around the barrel. And so it's, it's curving. It's basically showing that almond shape of the barrel itself, where the width is from the face of the wave to the lip in the middle of the barrel or roughly in the middle, kind of up, up near kind of the, the widest part. And then the length is from the the upper part of the curve inside the barrel down to where the lip breaks um, and then there is an actual an angle as well there's a vortex angle which is the angle they don't describe it in the study but they just show this the same view here the angle is it appears to be the angle at which the lip strikes the water in front of it but I, I think they may describe it differently. It's more of the angle that the um, vortex ratio makes with that water. Um, so they that sound those two descriptions sound really similar, but I think they're 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 slightly different um, because um, when you look at the picture, it's kind of like taking this almond and putting it more upright or putting it more flat, and that's similar to how the lip line strikes. The water you know but um, there's a slight variance in there so I'm gonna I'm gonna scroll down to that last parameter and then we're gonna we're gonna go deep into that one in a moment but we're gonna scroll down to wave section length um, so when you look at a wave from an aerial perspective and you see the, the the peel angle well the peel angle is only for a certain period of time or a certain section length and so um, many waves especially beach breaks you have like a section and then like kind of closes out and then there's another section so when you're riding along a wave you're going to actually have different section lengths and you're going to have different peel angles and you'll also have different breaking intensities and so you and, and different heights as well some some waves are actually growers like gland is a grower um, where it starts out a little bit small and then it grows as it goes down the reef. So these four parameters are always changing on the same wave that you may be surfing. And so they, they specifically mention wave section length um, because, because it changes, right? Um, it could be different winds that mess up the sections that blow a section over. It could be um, the bathymetry or the feature underwater that changes something. It could be um, broken up because there was sheltering offshore um, or or wave interactions as they come in. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why a wave might section. 
um, and have a, a bunch of different sections. But it basically says here, a surfing ride is actually made up of a variety of sections, breaking with varying heights, peel angles, breaker intensities, and section lengths throughout the ride. For example, small sections that break at once with a peel angle near zero are not a problem for a surfer provided the surfer can generate enough speed to make it past the section to the unbroken wave crest. So that would be like if you're looking at a wave and you're saying, hey, you know what, there's this section here that it closes out. It's a peel angle of near zero. Um, I can't surf that wave because it has that section. Nobody would say that. It just says, well, is there a section maybe earlier on the wave that I can get up and get some speed so I can I can travel through that section or past that section so I can get to the next section? Or should I get up after that closeout section and start from there? So there's there are these decisions that we would make um, when we see these things. It doesn't necessarily mean that we can't surf uh, those section lengths. So if that section length is too long, uh, then it will be difficult. But the more advanced surfers have ways to generate speed before and maybe even go up and over those sections, either through an aerial or a floater, whereas a less skilled surfer would get stuck or get caught behind um, on those sections. Um, sections like that, they, they go on here, they say, in fact, sections can be desirable for advanced surfers. Uh, and if the section has a high enough breaker intensity, there's a chance of getting a barrel ride. So remember, they're associating breaker intensity to that vortex ratio um, a, a great deal. And that vortex ratio is linearly related to the orthogonal seabed gradient. So we're starting to kind of see how these things all kind of work together. Um, they go on to say in this study, they, they talk about some winds onshore, offshore, and then they, they kind of get into the first of the three things that I want us to talk about, which is the skill level assessment. Um, and I'm going to kind of pause there and we're going to go into vortex ratio in a little bit more detail and then come back to this. So let me go to the study here for vortex ratio that was done in 2001. It's called Predicting the Breaking Intensity of Surfing Waves by Sh uh, Shaw Mead and Kerry Black down in New Zealand. Um, and let's talk about some of the different things that they they did, that they created um, to better figure out kind of like this relationship of orthogonal seabed gradient. So they used a, a program called MATLAB. I remember using this in, in my undergrad um, to fit a cubic curve to crest parallel images of breaking waves. This was back in um, uh, 1997. They started playing around with this. Uh, 1999 was another study that they were playing around with this. And then this one was finally published in um, 19, uh, or sorry, 2001. Um, but once again, this is where they start to define this vortex ratio. Um, and they, what they were trying to figure out in this study was, well, what are the, what is the relationship to breaking intensity? So let's just kind of try and understand this without the math. So if we have this ratio of length to width of the barrel, you have waves like, and I'll throw up, um, let's throw up uh, Teopu. So you have a way I'm showing on the screen of a huge wave at Teopu that has 
this really kind of uh it's almost like it's as wide as it is long right so if i were to again um mark this up and draw on this you have this kind of almondy shape and you have this length that goes all the way to where it breaks and then you have this width that's you know not not as everyone says that oh that thing broke as wide as it is tall right um this is the wave height is kind of you know here from from the crest down to the trough right and it, it is the wave height is almost as long as um the vortex ratio length but the vortex ratio um, is really the length from where the the lip is hitting to kind of the furthest end point of the vortex or the 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 um the, the almond or ellipse kind of thing a kind of shape um at to the widest part which is you know the uh the widest part of the of the almond or the shape um, and so that's vortex ratio i'll show you another picture same spot and you can see there's that length there and then the width is kind of like right right up there that's like the widest part of it and so most surfing waves i kind of thought about this and i was like you know when you have length over width you're always going to have a number that's greater than one because all surfing waves always have a longer l than the w in terms of when it's when it's actually throwing over and i thought to myself as just kind of a challenge is there ever a wave where w is bigger than l meaning the ratio is less than one and i don't think it's possible to have that um, because as the swell gets higher or bigger it just throws over and it goes it throws out out into the um, flat area more so this is i started thinking about how vortex ratio really has a lot to do also with decision making when we're going out through the waves um, and where should you duck dive um, should you speed up your paddle should you slow down should you wait for the bounce or should you try to get into the barrel and duck dive and there's this really high risk area in between those two decisions or should i avoid that area completely because it's breaking in super hyper shallow water and it's going to hold me back so these are all things we talk about in level two in terms of getting out strategy getting out strategy saves you tons of energy but it's also directly related to vortex ratio and i just i couldn't think of any examples where the width is wider than the length of the vortex ratio so unfortunately i don't think it's possible but i'd love to hear from you guys if you have an idea of where the width of a vortex is 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 even 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 with the length would be pretty incredible but i don't think it's possible so like I said earlier, uh, I thought that there would be a greater relationship between the angle, the vortex angle, which is the angle at which this almondy shape um, strikes the water in front, uh, the flat water in front, or the flats um, where the the lip hits down, and the ratio itself and the intensity. And that what they found, interestingly enough, when they did this, they actually mapped the the angle, um, the 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 length on width the wave height the the um 
width on wave height, the vortex angle of several different uh, wave locations. And they got a lot of different vortex angles, even at the same place. Like they had five different backdoor um, waves, waves at backdoor pipeline, and they had vastly different vortex angles. And I thought, you know, oh, the, the higher the vortex angle, the, the greater the intensity. You're thinking that, you know, it throws over and throws down. And you would think that would be very, very intense the closer it got to 90 degrees. But, you know, I, I, in the the length to width ha, has a much larger impact on intensity. And some of the longer ratios the uh sorry the low the smaller ratios um didn't quite correlate with the higher um vortex angles like um th there was a vortex angle of 58 degrees but the length length to width uh, of the vortex was 2.21 whereas there was a there, there was a uh uh, a vortex ratio of 2.02 .02, which is a more intense wave uh, meaning the length is longer than the width um, and the vortex angle was 50 degrees so you would think that it'd be higher than that um, but it was not so they had a lot of inconsistencies with the vortex angle and so let me scroll down to uh, some of those where they kind of related them. So this the mapping or the scatter plot that I'm looking at right here is you have vortex angle degrees on the x-axis and the vortex height to width ratio. So this is they're actually looking at the height of the wave to the width of the vortex, um, that ratio. So if the height is much bigger, like very big compared to the width, let's say the width is really small, then you have a really high number. Um, and so it's gonna be higher on the y-axis. If you have a wider kind of wave, a, a wider barrel to the height, you know, related to the height, you have a lower y-axis y-axis point. And then for the vortex angle, if you have something that kind of is curving and hitting more straight down, it's further along the x-axis to the right. And so when I think about that, I think, okay, well, with a higher angle, I would think it would strike the water at a, a stronger um, angle down. And that would be like a pipeline or a shark island, or they're using shark island in these examples, um, which is a slabby wave. Um, but that's not the case. They're showing, yeah, you're going to have a, a lower height to width ratio in those kind of intense waves, but the vortex angle is actually small in that case. Now, the softer wave, it, you have a higher vortex angle, but you also have a a much higher height to width ratio so that that one kind of didn't didn't really correlate to the the wave vortex angle versus the ratio of vortex length to vortex width wasn't very correlated at all they said in, in terms of linear so they were like well we couldn't really can't really use that as a predictor if it's not correlated um, they did the same thing with the vortex angle and the width to wave height the other way around um, so again, there was no correlation or there was very little correlation. They did the same vortex angle um, with uh, vortex length to uh, wave height. So instead of taking the vortex width, they take the length. And again, they found there wasn't that good of a correlation there. Um, they did vortex angle to 
the contour of the normal seabed gradient, so not the orthogonal seabed gradient, but the normal seabed gradient, meaning, you know, with you know, it's not the the line that the wave is traveling on. And they didn't find they found a little bit more correlation there, but not much. And in that one, they had the problem is that they had three different vortex angles for Shark Island, vastly different vortex angles. So the consistency of vortex angle was really difficult for them to measure. Um, and so they actually did state somewhere in here that the vortex angle was not going to be a suitable um, measurement because of the variability. And they said here, our results show that there is little evidence to support that wave vortex angle can be used as a measure of breaking intensity. Um, and that's you know there were huge discrepancies they're saying there there were some major discrepancies between the measurements of vortex angle um, between the previous study and the present study uh, but just in this one study alone the vortex angle at, at one of the breaks was like this huge range so it's just they, they they even go on the vortex angle is not a stable parameter and it's much more difficult to measure than the length to width ratio so they kind of cast that one aside. Um, the other thing to do with height, um, they, they covered that as well, the wave height and period. Um, but here's the amaz most amazing thing they, they, they found. When, and I'm going to go ahead and show the orthogonal seabed gradient ratio to the vortex ratio, which is the length to width ratio you had this beautiful linear correlation between the two. So you have this scatter plot, um, you have Shark Island, which is that slappy wave with a lower vortex ratio and a, a lower seabed gradient. Um, so you have a seabed gradient that you know is, is, is very low, um, whereas you have a seabed gradient for Lyle Bay, which is high. Um, and that's like kind of a really mellow sloping wave. Um, so the, the higher the seabed gradient, sorry, I, I, I misspoke earlier. The higher the seabed gradient, the less variability um, that you have in the seabed gradient. Um, so it's uh, a horizontal distance to one vertical unit. So the ratio, so... <clears throat> Um, it, it, the slope is uh, longer horizontally than it is vertically when it's a mellower wave like Lyle Bay or San Onofre or Bellinas or Santa Cruz um, cowls. So you have a, a longer horizontal distance versus the vertical unit, whereas a, a lower horizontal distance to vertical unit uh, like Shark Island or Pipeline or Teopu um, you have a low orthogonal seabed sea gradient. So when you have a low orthogonal seabed gradient, meaning it changes depths really quickly, that's essentially what it means. And you have a vortex length to width ratio that is very low considering, meaning the length is um, almost even with the width. So that's what that means. The length and the width are really close proportionally. When you have that and a low orthogonal seabed gradient, you have a really intense breaking wave. 
And they were able to find this for many, many, many different surf breaks. And this linear relationship to the point where they were able to actually create a linear equation where it's um, the vortex ratio or the length to, to vortex width could actually be predicted based off of the orthogonal seabed gradient, right? So it's 0 0.065 times the orthogonal seabed gradient plus 0.821 gives you the vortex ratio, which is crazy, right? And they said that the vortex ratio ranged between 1.42 and 3.43. So 3.43 is, it's a much longer length and not a very wide, right? 1.42 is, you know, it's getting closer to one. So the length is still longer than the width of the barrel, but it's a lot more round, Okay, so you have round versus kind of more almondy, right? Now, this is, of course, has to do with plunging waves only. Okay, plunging waves only. But but this was this was fascinating because what they did also is they took a look at wave period and wave height as well. And they found that while period and height also will change the intensity of the wave. The let's go back down to the conclusion here. Where is it? Conclusion, 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 conclusion. This is the most I thought this was the most amazing thing because I'm like, wait, you guys are forgetting about about period. Um, here we go. Including wave height and period in this method could improve breaking intensity prediction, but the range of wave heights and periods at high quality surfing breaks is not large enough to greatly affect the general results obtained by using the orthogonal seabed grading alone. So they're basically saying that the orthogonal seabed gradient works. You, you can basically predict the tube shape just off of orthogonal seabed gradient. The, the, the heights and periods at these different breaks, you know, you could try to use those, but the orthogonal seabed gradient alone works and you don't need to, and, and it's so consistent and it's predictable. So I found that, that, really really interesting and then they came up with this thing right here this is the classification of wave breaker intensities and they just gave us a couple examples so um, we'll start with the most extreme intensity the vortex ratio is between 1.6 and 1.9 so remember these are the descriptive terms are square or spitting um, examples are pipeline shark island are the ones they gave and they gave a nice little picture and you can actually see how round the barrel is so when the barrel is more round then that's an extreme intensity very high intensity um, they're saying 1.91 to 2.2 on the vortex ratio descriptive is very hollow things like backdoor padang padang um, i would even argue some backdoor waves are more like extreme but they put backdoor here and they show a picture of one. And yeah, it's not as round. It's a little bit more almondy, a little bit longer than it is wide. And then you have a high intensity, a vortex ratio of 2.21 uh, to 2.2, 2.5. And this is descriptive term is pitching or hollow. And this is like Kira off the wall. Again, two places that I think get really round, but they they're showing you know, some like a tube section of a wave. I would even say maybe high might be like J Bay, where it's it's it is barreling, 
um, in the barrel section, but it's more almondy. Definitely more almondy of a barrel. A little bit harder to actually ride in the barrel, those kinds of um, braking intensities. Um, and then you have an intensity of medium high, which is a vortex ratio of 2.51 to 2.8. Descriptive term is some tube sections. And they're saying example breaks like Bell's Beach has sometimes a tube section, Bingen um, in Indonesia. Um, and they're showing kind of someone doing like a pocket ride right in front of one. So it's kind of a tube section, not really. And then finally, they have the intensity of medium, where the vortex ratio is 2.81 to 3.1. And the descriptive term is a steep faced, but rarely tubing. So it's got nice steep section, maybe for a turn, but you can't necessarily get barreled. Um, example break was Manu Bay, uh, Wangamata, and that's in, um, in New Zealand. So they took this and actually uh, what I... What some of these other studies have done, they've thrown these in. Let me see if I can find it here. Is this the one? Yeah. So they threw it in, but they they ranked these also um, related to a surfer skill level. So when we're talking about vortex ratio, the studies have all kind of shown that peel angle is one of the number one things that you can use to determine your kind of skill level. Actually, in an older study, let me pull that older study up. I think it's this one. Yeah, here's an older study. This was in 2001 versus 2003, which is the other one. It actually gives a rating system. Um, and there's an, a rating system altered from this to include vortex ratio, but I'll start with this one. So rating one, beginning surfers not able to ride the face of a wave yet, simply move forward as the wave advances. Well, they relate this to peel angle mostly. So the peel angle is the number one determinant for skill level in their um, in their eyes, as well as wave height. So they're looking at peel angle and wave height. So they're saying uh, peel angle limit is 90 degrees. So that's basically a wave that doesn't peel. The minimum and maximum wave height in meters, 0.7 to 1. So a rating one or a level one surfer, beginner surfer, not able to ride the face of the wave, basically riding white water. A rating two or level two is a learner surfers, learner uh, surfers able to successfully ride laterally along the crest of the waves. And they said that the peel angle limit is about 70 degrees. Anything faster of a peel angle because they don't know how to generate speed, they're not going to be able to keep up with. So any sections that are faster than, say, a 70-degree peel angle is, uh, is too fast because they can't um, generate speed. The minimum wave height is about 0.65 meters. Maximum is about 1.5. So meaning they can ride a little bit bigger waves and they can ride a little bit smaller waves um, and ride down the line. A level three surfer is a surfer who has developed the skill to generate speed by pumping on the face of the wave. That's what we just talked about. So their their peel angle limit is 60 degrees. Um, they can't really go in waves a little bit faster than that, um, but they can ride smaller waves and larger waves. They said 0.6 to, um, meters to 2.5 meter size waves. A level four surfer, surfers beginning to initiate and executive and execute standard surfing maneuvers on occasion. They can uh, their limit is fifty five degree peel angle, so a little bit faster of a wave, and again a little bit smaller, 0.55 meters, and a little bit and actually a lot bigger of a wave, four meters. Um, 
Level 5, surfer is able to execute standard maneuvers cons consecutively on a single wave. Appeal angle limit of 50 degrees, um, a little bit smaller of a wave. Again, they're, they're just lighter on their feet. They can change things so it's 0.5 meters to greater than a 4-meter wave. Um, and really from then on, every surfer from level 5 up to 10 uh, their max wave is greater than four meters, um, but their minimum wave keeps going down. So a level six surfer, um, surfer is able to execute standard maneuvers, consecutively execute advanced maneuvers on occasion. Their peel angle limit is 40 degrees, so the peel angle keeps going down, and the minimum wave height they can surf goes down. Uh, this one's now 0.45 meters. The maximum is still greater than four meters. A level seven um, Surfer is a top amateur surfer able to ex consecutively execute advanced maneuvers. So peel angle limit drops all the way down to 29 degrees. So this is somebody that is able to float over sections or um, do an air over a section um, with, with really tight peel angles. So any section lengths that are short or section lengths can be longer as well with these, um, with more advanced surfers. They can surf a minimum of 0.4 meters, um, so that, that's going down as well. A level 8 is a professional surfer able to consecutively execute advanced maneuvers. Their peel angle is a little bit sharper. It's 27 degrees, they're saying, and their minimum wave height is 0.35. You see these guys, they, they make a one-foot wave look super fun because they generate all this speed. A level nine surfer is a top 44 professional surfer able to consecutively execute advanced maneuvers. This is back when they had the ASP and they had the top 44. The peel angle limit, they say not available, um, but they can surf as small a wave as 0.3 meters um, effectively. And then a level 10 is surfers in the future. Keep in mind, this is a 2003 study. Um, peel angle, they didn't know what the limit was as well and they said 0.3 um, or less but essentially they're not really even sure surfers in the future meaning today even if if they redid this and, and looked at some of the peel angles that some of these guys are able to to, to surf through um, and how small these guys can go in wave heights um, and do advanced maneuvers Anyway, I bring this up because I think it's a good way to, you can look at peel angle as one way to assess whether you're ready for a particular wave. But I, I like the newer version of what they've done. Uh, I'm going to pull that back up where they incorporate also not only peel angle, but they incorporate vortex ratio. So a lot of times um, I, I've talked on the podcast before about how you should, oh no, no, it wasn't the podcast. It was a, a blog post that I, I said, you know, it's not a matter of wave height uh, in terms of how you should assess your skill level. It shouldn't be wave height. It should be in the intensity or whether or not you feel comfortable getting caught inside. That's specifically what I said. How comfortable do you feel getting caught inside? And then the breaker intensity. Vortex ratio is much more related to that because if you have a you know rank two three surfer they're saying here beginner surfers able to perform basic maneuvers soft breaking waves there's no vortex ratio and the peel angle is 60 to 70 degrees or greater um these they don't really have a vortex they're kind of spilling waves they're not plunging waves so as soon as you move from say a spilling wave which is like a crumbly wave to a a plunging wave 
you've moved up in your progression and now you're dealing with vortex ratio. And so here on screen, I'm showing this, this, uh, this other, this is a 2003 study showing um, the different kind of ranks or levels of surfers, ranks four, rank five, six, rank seven, rank eight, nine. And the vortex ratio increases or I'm sorry, the vortex ratio decreases. So a rank four is intermediate skilled surfer beginning to initiate and execute standard surfing maneuvers on occasion, steep face, but rarely tubing. Vortex ratio 2.8 to 3.1, peel angles, 55 degree limit. And you got Bell's Beach or um, Raglan in New Zealand. So they, they're doing essentially the same thing. I'm not gonna go through every single one. The top ranked are the top world surfers, vortex ratio 1.6 to 1.9, peel angle less than 27 degrees. And they're saying like pipeline shark island in australia um and and everything in between so this is just another way i think you can use vortex ratio to kind of assess your own skill level so that was one of my goals for today is to talk to you about how you can use vortex ratio and look at the way the tube throws if there's no tube then it's less than a rank two three it's it's kind of you're dealing with a spilling wave and you should be okay um, then you can look a little bit more at peel angle at that in that case um but but i'm gonna just kind of wrap up here and and talk to you about the other two ways that we can use vortex ratio to help our surfing um, one one way is with wave catching and really specifically your positioning on a wave so if you have a section of a wave that is has a really low vortex ratio meaning that it's tubing really really hard that is not a place where you're going to be taking off um, especially also if the peel angle is low at that same location which generally it is those things are somewhat related though we haven't seen that correlation yet um, but it is peel angle and vortex ratio and orthogonal seabed gradient all kind of are related as we've discussed so what you want to look for is when you're looking at the side of a wave you want to look at what i call the curvature of the wave and it's not once the wave is tubing or or it's vortexing it's what happens before it gets to that point and that progression and this relates back to the podcast that harry and i did together on on the study uh, from nick piso um, in terms of the development of the wave and we're talking about the curvature of it so when you look at the curvature of these different vortex ratios you don't really want to take off when it's vortex ratio is 1.6 to 1.9 you want to take off before it becomes that um, and so the curvature of the wave is of a good predictor of how much the vortex ratio is going to throw or not throw given a surfing section so remember there's different sections so we go deeper into this in level two but just right now what you can do as kind of a general practice is while you're paddling out and you're looking at the wave as you're paddling out and you see the way that the wave curves you can kind of imagine yourself at that section of the wave and saying does that wave develop based on its curvature and vortex ratio does it develop really quickly do i want to try to get into it before that does it give me enough of a ramp to get into it beforehand so that maybe i can ride through that vortex ratio section 
could that could that be possible and then you can also look at the peel angle to see is that a closeout section as well or is that a mushy section so would i tuck into the tube during that section or would i try to go over it if it's a mushy section if it's a spilling section i can actually come up and take a turn off of that top and get more speed coming out of that and, and for the next section so it really helps you plan out how the wave might break and how you might surf it as well as how to catch the wave so i only focus on how to catch the wave i kind of extended that discussion toward how to ride it but how to how to catch the wave and where you want to catch the wave the positioning along the beach that you want to go at has a lot to do with where the vortex ratio how extreme it is how intense it is and where it happens so the peel angle of it so it's combining peel angle and vortex ratio and then the last thing I want to kind of talk to you about, about with vortex ratio is the board design decisions that you're going to make. So speaking, you know, relating it back to the section that you're looking at and the vortex ratio of that section, of course, if the vortex ratio is more intense, if you have a longer board, you're not going to be able to fit it into that curve. So think about it that way. Like if you have a curve that is very steep and you have a long board, longer board that that board is not going to actually fit in the curve of that wave it's going to end up going and nose poking um, basically purling right so when you think about the, the the lower the vortex ratio the more the intense the vortex ratio the smaller the board you essentially want to have to fit that curve and that's not just one takeoff but let, let's say you come up and you I'm showing a, a wave at Teopu again. And if you come up and you do a top turn and, and then it bowls out really quick, you need a smaller board to fit that curve to come down and recover. So it's not just on takeoff that you need that board to fit the curve, but every time you go up for a vertical turn, you need to do that. I've, I've come into many problems when I'm I'm learning my vertical turns as I come around and I have maybe a bigger board um, to provide me with a little bit more leniency when I when I mess up and I lose speed, having a bigger board helps me through the flat sections a little bit more. And so the problem is, is I could turn it, but then I'm stuck. I always nose poke when I'm coming down. So it could be some of my technique of my recovery, but to me, it makes more sense that it just the board doesn't fit the curve because I've surfed the same wave, and this is a wave pool specifically on a shorter board, and it fits the curve right so um, that's a huge difference um, so when you're thinking about board decisions um, think less about your paddle out um, and more about how it's going to fit the curve and so vortex ratio has a huge impact on that you know you can ride i i ride my mid length out at ob when it's kind of mushy you know because it it can it doesn't need a short water line to fit the curve because it's the, the curve is is very mellow but when it's top to bottom low tide um, i'll take a small board out there even if it's big because one i know how to paddle a small board efficiently and effectively um, even through a lot of white water moving along and a lot of water moving i can catch waves in the right sections um, in order to, to uh, fit that board into that curve. And really what I'm looking at is I'm not looking at the waves on, uh, and deciding on a board based on how I should catch the wave or my paddle out. I'm looking at 
how does my board fit in the curvature of the wave and how do I want to ride? Um, and so that's, that's how I want you to start to approach surfing is once you get good paddling technique down and you know how to catch waves uh, at different parts and where kind of might be a higher probability of catching a wave at different sections along the wave, given your skill and your knowledge, you can, you can decide on a board for that session um, with greater accuracy and you can end up having a lot more fun when you do it that way. So that's kind of my my roundup. I know I kind of jabber jibber jabbered on about vortex um, ratios quite a bit. Um, I hope that <laughs> you got something out of it. If you did, great. Let me know. If you didn't, let me know. You know, I know I, I can get onto this nerdy stuff for a while, but um, if you if you do find interest in it, I'm, I'm stoked that you you found some value out of it. Um, of course, if you're you're interested in taking my level one course we have the online course uh, available for you or you can come out and see me in person um, and then i don't let anybody take my level two course until we go through level one because a lot of the basics uh, for sprint paddling uh, and setting up is covered in level one so um, even if people are pros and ex-pros i start at level one i don't even go to level two with them we're always talking about level one stuff so um, whether someone's a, a not advanced beginner all the way to an ex-pro we always start at level one and that's uh, paddling technique um, and then uh, we move on to wave catching all right, well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Thank you guys for listening. If you listen this whole time, I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, send me questions if you have any. Uh, until then, I'll see you in the water.